0: The tiniest player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers them for real. It's like, when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious or not. It, we deserve this win, man. Fox force 5, flying high in Motown. Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling the best I've ever felt.
1: I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate. And just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention.
0: With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, Sacramento Kings select Tyrese Halliburton.
1: Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, a decade and a half, and then being the first team to actually get to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento. Like that's, that's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunes. And today we have a friend of the show, Louis Zatzman, coming back on here today, had you on here a few times before, man, covered the Toronto Raptors for Raptors Republic, uh, writes for Five Thirty Eight. I see CBS Sports, couple other places as well. How you doing, Louis?
0: I'm good, brother. Thank you. CBC Sports, by the way, the Canadian channel.
1: My apologies.
0: Oh, no, no worries.
1: So we're here to talk about Pascal Siakam, you know, Siakam has been linked to the Kings a lot, uh, mainly from the Kings point of view, it seems, which we'll touch on a little bit later. Um, But before we're talking about deals or anything like that, I think the fan base could use a better idea of Siakam as a player Um, and, you know, most improved player. uh, He's an all star at 27 years old, as well as an NBA champion, obviously all NBA in 2019, 20. Um and let's just talk about, you know, I think last year was a down year, but let's talk about like Prime Siakam 1920. Um and that's not to say he's past his prime, he's 27 like I said. Um but you know, I think Kawhi was a little hobbled in that championship run and I think people are forgetting just how good Pascal Siakam is. Um so can you really walk me through like how crucial he was to that championship roster and the role that he played in that team?
0: Oh man, for sure. So Siakam is a really high ceiling player on both sides of the ball. Uh, So defensively, I think, is where he um, started his his place in the league. You know, super switchable guy, uh, solid uh, in the playoffs. He is sort of like Kawhi, and that sometimes in the regular season, he'll slack off a little bit. But, you know, at his peak, doesn't really make mistakes. Uh, Dials up pressure, really good turnover generator, great rebounder, turn and go you know, like everything you want from a defender. Um, basically, Ben Simmons with a tiny bit, like like 95% of Ben Simmons, basically. Just, you know, unbelievable uh, wing defender. Uh, offensively, also super high ceiling player. Um, and you saw that when he was beside Kawhi Leonard, obviously, uh, because Siakam is at his best as a number two with somebody else rotating the defense, Um you know, starting from the outside in, he's better, much better as a catch and shoot shooter than a pull up shooter, which I think speaks to a lot of his game. It's a good microcosm in that he is, you know, has a good set shot. um, But if he's asked to create for himself from behind the arc, it becomes, uh, there's a lot more movement in there. You know, he's a little less accurate, a lot less accurate. And that actually is true of a lot of his game. Last year, I think the reason Um, why people considered it a down year for him is because he was just asked to do so much against static defenses. Uh, And that was with, for much of the season, um, you know, a paint bound center sort of clogging up the lane. And so Siakam had to take a lot more pull-up jumpers last year than ever before, which is not his forte. Um, But when someone else creates, he's, you know, an absolute killer attacking a, a rotating defense. Saw that in the playoffs, just unbelievable finisher when he's when help has to rotate, um, he's got great floaters. He's got vertical around the rim, you know, ambidextrous, got a little bit of a post game uh, best when he has a smaller guy on him. He's not wonderful at posting up a bigger guy and facing up, uh, but he just does so much. He's a plus passer. And so if you put him next to someone like say De'Aaron Fox, uh, he would just unlock so much of the offense. You know, they'd go from a good offense to a great one. Um, unfortunately, Siakam can't be had without Darren Fox. We'll get into that a little later, I think, uh, and that's when he's limited. He's still an excellent player, All-Star level player, but without another All-Star, someone who handles more of the ball handling duties, that's when he's just you know uh, a standard All-Star rather than an elite All-Star, so, so to speak.
1: So, what's interesting to me as somebody that didn't watch that much of the Raptors last year? Um, like, why was Lowry or or Fred not that guy last year? That was more so initiating rather than Pascal.
0: Well, they were, but they just didn't play a lot together. You know, Siakam, Fred, and Kyle all missed you know twenty plus games. Um, have to check those numbers, but thereabouts. And a lot of those uh, those, those absences came uh, at different games, and so often you know Siakam played and the other two didn't, or vice versa. When they did play together. The Raptors were fantastic. You know, their net rating with Siakam alongside Lowry was actually about the same as it was in 1920. Um, a little bit worse. A lot of that had to do with um, with the center spot. Um, but when they did add Ken Burch, for example, they were better. Um, Siakam. The few games Siakam, Lowry, Birch played together, they were fantastic. Better um, three player net rating than they had in 1920. So a lot of it was just absences, injuries. COVID really hit the team hard. Uh, so I think a lot of Siakam's step or you know perceived step back was much more contextual than an actual change in his game.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. And context is huge, obviously with Serrano's last season being played in Tampa and and all of that stuff going on. Um, how good of a defender do you think he is? Um, I, I know you really talked it up at the beginning there, but just to dive into that a little bit more, I think, you know, the Kings fan base is talking a lot of Siakam versus Simmons. And I think people give the edge to Simmons on the defensive end, but um, like you, you touched on the switchability of Siakam. Can you just dive into that a little bit more and how it compares to his off ball defense?
0: Yeah. Toronto uses him as a weapon on ball in that when teams run that, um, you know, three man weave to like handoffing against switches and just attack an individual as teams do a lot in the playoffs, Toronto will switch Siakam onto the ball through each action. You know, they are totally comfortable him guarding one through four, uh, switching onto fives, you know, at times, preferably not, but it'll, ha- if it happens, it's, you know, not, a downside for toronto they just don't want to do it 20 times a game but he creates turnovers you know he is such an unbelievable recovery speed that he'll sink into the lane clog it try to strip the drive be able to recover up to the corner and block a three you know he uh, is unbelievable both at stymieing a guy and helping at the same time or, or you know a, a moment later and if it sounds like i'm describing ben simmons it's because they both have the same strengths Um, I think Siakam doesn't do it as consistently in the regular season is a reason why Ben Simmons, you know, has that edge. Also Ben Simmons is maybe uh, uh, a beat stronger than Siakam. I wouldn't say he's longer or more explosive, but, but stronger than Siakam, which matters on the defensive end. Uh, So that's why I said 95% of Simmons. I mean, I don't think Simmons really is a significantly better defender. They're both, elite all-world top 10 NBA defenders um, at their best. And Siakam is just, Toronto unlocks him in the playoffs to just wreak havoc.
1: Yeah, obviously what Sacramento needs with the all-time league-worst defense last year, really need a wing stopper on this roster, and Siakam obviously fits that. Um, I want to talk about his three-point shot a little bit. You know, the last two years prior to 2021, um, he shot, first 35.9% from deep on six attempts a game. And then th- the year before that 36.9% uh, on 2.7 a game. And then the most recent year, um, weird circumstances, like we've mentioned a little bit, but do you think that, um, you know, it's possible those two years are a little bit of a fluke. How respected do you think Siakam is from three? Uh,
0: so a bunch of questions there, a bunch of really valuable ones. Uh, going to start with the last one. How respected is he? Not very. Uh, You saw that in the championship season. He shot extremely well from three, um, but he basically only took open corner threes. And so teams asked him to shoot from anywhere else, didn't really contest him. And they said, look, if this is the shot Toronto wants, rather than a Fred catch and shoot three, rather than a Kawhi pull up, um, they were happy to let Toronto take it. And and he was not a wonderful three-point shooter in the playoffs. Um, Philadelphia almost beat Toronto by putting Joel Embiid on Siakam. Saying Embiid's going to close off everything else on the defensive end, and if Siakam hits threes, he hits threes, and he didn't, and that's why it was such a hard see- such a hard series because Embiid is such a ridiculous defender. Um, and so, how respected is he? Not very. Uh, that being said, he is a good catch and shoot shooter. Uh, he's cleaned up his motion a lot. His base still needs work, but his you know above the waist is fairly good now. The thing is. No, Toronto didn't have enough guys to create catch-and-shoot shots for him. So 1920, 2021, he had far fewer catch-and-shoot threes from the corner, and his shot didn't really develop into a pull-up threat. At times, it did. You know, when he went three for four on pull-ups, Toronto blew opponents out because that's kind of the end of the game if he hits those, um, kind of like Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's a player you got to pick your poison, and if he hits his pull-ups, that's kind of – then the other team is poisoned. Um, so, you know, it is in the grand scheme of things, a weakness. That's not to say he's not good at elements of shooting, but overall compared to the rest of his game, it would be among the parts that needs the most work and among the parts that defenses can most hurt him for in the playoffs.
1: Yeah. And do you think, you know, if we're inserting him into Sacramento's lineup, a lineup that features Fox and Holmes Both guys that, you know, I think home spaces the floor a little more than people realize without a three-point shot because that push shot is really extended. Fox's three-point shot has some progress, you know, I think similar to Siakam. It's very good off the catch and a little bit questionable off the dribble. Um, I mean, do you think that like teams are just going to pack the paint and that's going to be a big issue for Siakam?
0: Yeah, I mean, if we're just playing make-believe and adding Siakam to a full-strength Sacramento roster, um, yeah, teams will pack the paint. Teams will go under Fox screens. He'll definitely need to, to hit pull-ups as well. But Siakam, like I said, you know, he can hit catch and choose from the corner. Uh, so I think if that were to happen, uh, especially with Holmes as such a great rim runner, really sucks in defenders from the corner, which is something that, to be honest, Siakam has never played alongside. You know, Ibaka is a, a good rim runner, not Holmes level. Um He played alongside Gasol for a lot of the time. Gasol, a wonderful offensive player, but but not one of his strengths. And I think Siakam would feast from open catch and shoot corner threes, and, and he would hit a whole lot of them. So I wouldn't see that really as a problem alongside that starting lineup.
1: Yeah, to me, it's something that'd be good in the regular season and maybe run into some struggles in the playoffs. But uh, I think Sacramento would be happy with with those sort of concerns when it yeah, like being in the playoffs. Yeah, it's not such a bad thing from our point of view. Um, I want to ask you about the surgery that Siakam just had. And, and does it you know, it's the torn labrum in his left shoulder. He's out for five months. I think that estimated return date is about November 8th is what I have here. Um, you know, is that something that makes you concerned for somebody that's already a little bit of a questionable shooter? I know it's a hard subject to speak on a little bit, but how concerned are you when it comes to his shoulder?
0: Not very. I mean, guys today coming back from injury, it it's almost like nothing happened, and from much more serious injuries than a than a shoulder injury, especially offhand, I don't think it should affect him too much. I mean, immediately when he comes back, yeah, it should affect his post game a little bit. His handle has some looseness at times. It should affect his handle a little bit as well, but long-term, no, I, I don't think it'll affect much of his game at all.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. And uh, before we move to, is he even on the table and his potential value? Um, <laughs> there was some off-court stuff that, that was talked about this season. I think really early in the year, um, December of 2020, he was benched for, I saw disciplinary measures. After he exited the floor early, after fouling out, Tuesday in Philadelphia. Um, and then a couple months later, um, there's a reporting that he's yelling at nurse in the locker room after an eighth straight loss, which I don't actually think is as uncommon as people realize. Um, but the interesting part was that it became a public fine, right? Um, what what do you make of some of this off court stuff that was going on with Siakam and it seemed like him between the coaching staff this year?
0: Yeah. So, um, a ton of things, I think most importantly, as you say, Uh, it's not as uncommon as people realize. Even in the championship year, Kyle and Kawhi both referred after they won to you know, dust-ups in the locker room that never were made public, though, which speaks to the other point. Um, But before I get there, I think something that people need to understand about these young Toronto guys, Fred, Pascal, OG, they've never lost in their entire lives. You know, they've lost games, right? But a State for Fred Van Fleet went, what, like 27-2 and two or something in college? He Like, even better in high school. And I can only imagine how much he dominated in, like, junior high basketball. You know, New Mexico State with, with Pascal was similar. These guys had never lost. They come to the Raptors, and they join a team with Kyle and DeMar that were a 50-win team year in, year out, right? They went to the playoffs. And then they win a championship. And then the year after Kawhi leaves... They're again, one of the best teams in the league. So last season was the first time, not for someone like Kyle, but for the the first time for someone like Fred Pascal to have ever lost eight games straight in their entire life, most likely. And that wears on people, especially when you've never experienced it before that leads to all sorts of um, soul searching with Fred, which Fred discussed quite publicly. And so I think, For something that's not uncommon anyway, people yell at each other in such hyper-competitive environments, it makes tons of sense. Honestly, I thought nothing of it when we were told, and it just was a very normal thing, uh, which nurse said when it happened. Now, the the thing that you mentioned, the only thing that I would raise my eyebrows at is that nurse told us it happened. Um, You know, he had benched Siakam. We asked how Siakam was doing, and he mentioned, you know, Um, you know, know, he'll get with the program type of thing, not the 100% total undying support he gave him, for example, in the 1920 playoffs when Siakam was also struggling. And so I think a lot of the uh, perceived split is not just Siakam yelling at Nurse, but Nurse seeming to um, treat Siakam as he has every other player, because Nurse is quite openly critical of players when they do poorly. Um, The start of 1920, he was really open about guys needing to improve. Rondé Hollis, Jefferson, uh, new players like that, you know, vets that aren't used to being criticized publicly. So it's something that Nurse does, something he hasn't done with Siakam in the past. So I think it's a number of things that happen normally in a season. Um, All combined, sure, I raise my eyebrows, but I wouldn't say it's anything more than just a bunch of frustrated, hyper-competitive guys. I don't think it's really a huge contribution to, you know, quote unquote, Siakam being on the, the trading block. I, they, it, it's not even remotely something that they would trade a player for, for example.
1: Yeah. It's curious, but it doesn't have me very concerned. Um, is, it? is the thing that you consider trading him for is that like, maybe there's a mini rebuild and there's this whole, was it the, Rose rule, the reason he, he made that all NBA team and now it was a larger contract, 30% of the cap, I believe it was, four years, 140. Like when you look at that contract, is, is that concerning to you as potentially a bad deal now or down the line? 33 million this year, right? 35 the year after, 37 the year, the final year after that. I don't think it's a bad deal. I
0: mean, I think a lot of NBA analysts define any deal that's worthwhile as a bad deal. You need to be value surplus. To be a good deal, you know, for a lot of analysts. And I think it's quite clear he's not going to be a value surplus player at that contract. Um, the only guys at that contract who are value surplus are like Kevin Durant. Yeah, maybe that's all. Um so you know, but that's not the only place you can have better play per dollar is a Mac contract. Most teams don't. You know, most teams when they give out a max contract expect that guy to fulfill it, maybe slightly underplay it, and they get the value surplus from the rookie deals, from the mid-range deals. Like Something like OGN and OB is on a much lighter deal. He's going to massively outperform it. Same with Fred Van Vliet. So no, I don't think it's a bad contract. I think it'll be very tradable no matter what. And uh, Toronto needs to find someone who's going to outperform their contract now. It's not going to be Siakam. It was when they won the championship, but it has to be someone else, if they're going to win another one, that's fine. That's normal.
1: Interesting. Um, okay. So there was a Bobby Webster quote the other day, right? That they're building around Fred Siakam and OG. Um, it, first of all, like, and, and kind of just what you touched on a little bit there and led into like, does it seem like Siakam is on the table? You know, it feels like a lot of the reporting is coming from, Oh, Sacramento's interested. Other teams are interested, but I, I've never seen a reporting that it's like they're shopping Siakam. Does that seem to be the case to you?
0: Yeah, Toronto is almost a luxury tax team right now. They're hard capped. You know, they keep maintaining flexibility, but for what? For each offseason, they're not landing any big free agents. And to be honest, they're not close to a championship. So for an expensive team that's not close to a championship, of course, everyone's on the table. You know, when they were a championship team, these guys were untouchable because they were already there. Uh, So now that they aren't close, of course, Siakam's on the table, but no more than any team that's not close to a championship. They're not shopping him any more than, you know, the Kings are shopping Darren Fox, which is not really at all. But if someone swept in with a godfather offer, they'll take it. So this is where it's very difficult for the Kings to actually put together a package for Siakam. Because trading him, Messiah Jury hates losing trades. I mean almost never has done it. Uh, Trades are a way to build team value and not lose it. And Siakam, as you mentioned, is injured. The perception of him is the lowest it's ever been, even though I think he actually had an excellent year last year when he was on the court. And so trading him now would be, I think, about as foolish as it could be for the Raptors. And that's why I don't think it'll happen because his perceived value is so far from what his uh, potential value would be if they just waited for him to come back healthy and dominate.
1: So this is so funny to me because everybody, all of Kings fans have been throwing out buddy Bagley and picks for Simmons Siakam. And like, to me, it's just been like, how in the world is this ever enough? I don't think buddy or Bagley are particularly interesting. Like you'd have to really be a situation where um, I mean, Toronto's kind of interesting for Bagley, right? Like a good developments um, history. So that's kind of interesting. Like I think, Buddy maybe in Philly because you're so desperate for shooting, but like it has to be specific fits for guys that I mean Bagley is kind of just a throw-in to me at this point, maybe a little bit more than that. I think Buddy's a bad deal. Um, so like it, it's crazy. It, it, is it crazy to think Buddy Bagley, say two unprotecteds and a swap in between? So you get control for the next three years? Like, is that in the ballpark, you think?
0: Look, I like both guys. I think I might even value them higher than you. Um, Buddy, uh, I'm actually writing a really deep dive right now about pull-up shooting and the role it will have in the future for the league and, you know, determining wins. And Buddy, I think, is one of those um, competitive advantage type players where his pull-up shooting is such that used properly on a team that is, you know, much better than his current one. I think he actually could offer a lot more value, kind of like a Jordan Clarkson type, but better. Um, you know, badly, hyper-athletic, you know, who knows what he might turn into in a different environment. So, yeah, I'm, I'm positive on both those guys. But uh, no, both of them with, three, with two picks and a pick swap, I don't think does it. Maybe five, you know, like a Drew Holiday type haul. But at that point, why would Sacramento do it? I just, I don't see a ton of common ground um if siakam was 22 maybe maybe it would make sense for sacramento but the way it currently stands i that's another reason i don't think siakam will be traded because i think the teams that would be interested in him don't have even remotely close to the hall and the teams that could afford him won't want a guy that's already 27
1: yeah is there any other like deals you've seen thrown around that are somewhat interesting
0: to be honest not really um maybe You know, at the very least, uh, the Damian Lillard-Siakam swap, where it's like, let's see if both stars are happier. But even then, Toronto, I'm not certain they're better by a sizable margin than Portland was just last year around Lillard. You know, maybe a little bit. I think Fred is a huge upgrade on McCollum, particularly defensively. Um, But... To be honest, I don't know if Toronto even makes that deal because are you going to win a championship? Maybe not. And so if you're not trading Siakam for Lillard, like what's the price? Because Lillard is, you know, one of those like infinity gems that that a general manager wants to, you know, rule the world. That guy is other level. So it just, um, even though Lillard I think is just a better player than Siakam, uh, Toronto is just in a weird place where what they want and what they might get are so different.
1: Yeah. I think your point of, you know, selling low doesn't make that much sense. You can have a big year next year, you know, being back in Toronto um, once he heals from this injury and, and all other things come together um, definitely makes a lot of sense. And I think that, you know, Sacramento is just really desperate to make a move right now. Um, and unlike the situation in Philadelphia, which is where I think there's more Ben Simmons hope than there should be Siakam hope Um, it seems like Simmons kind of has to go and it doesn't seem like the case with Siakam. Oh, not at all. Um, so yeah. And, and straight up, by the way, Siakam is better than Ben Simmons. Yeah.
0: I, I would say so. I mean, I love Ben Simmons. I think he's a wonderful player. I think a lot of the criticism is more structural. Like if they had Danny green, maybe they beat Milwaukee, you know, like that's how good I think Ben Simmons is and how small the, The edges were
1: against Atlanta, Um, but I do think
0: Siakam's a better player. I just think they're both unbelievable.
1: Yeah, I am with you. Um, But yeah, it doesn't seem like the most likely deal um, from my point of view. Last thing I want to ask you here, Lewis, uh, did a lot of draft coverage on this pod. Were Were you excited for Scottie at four? Did you want him to take Suggs? How were you on draft night?
0: So drafting is like probably my weakest point as a journalist. Uh I cover it a little bit for sure, but I'm not one of those guys who's combing through film. I comb through film after, you know, once the Raptors pick a guy, then I watch all the games and right. learn and write. And beforehand, I'm not doing that for 20 different drafting candidates. Um, I'll leave that to the Blake Murphy's of this world. Uh so I was surprised when they took Barnes. I thought something like that might be coming you know when there's smoke there's fire there's definitely a little smoke toronto was going to go off the board but i i wasn't in any situation to criticize um and having seen a game from barnes i get it i mean you have to
1: love him you have the the energy is ridiculous
0: yeah and and the guy is one of those players who maybe it doesn't pan out you know there's always different universes where different players become different things but oh my God, he could be something we've never seen before, uh, which hard to turn down.
1: Yeah, where do you stand on the whole versatile lineup of Siakam, OG, um, Scotty? I saw some Raptors covers kind of being a little bit critical and skeptical of that idea.
0: Yeah, Toronto, so it's interesting. Again, this goes back to the pull-up thing. Toronto seems to be building um, by zags, while the rest of the league is building by zigs. Um, that makes no sense. Let me explain. Uh, I think teams have been monopolizing or uh, overvaluing shooting for some time, or at least highly valuing shooting, maybe the most important skill teams draft for right now. Uh, and I think Toronto has decided, look, we can we can build catch-and-shoot shooting. Um, that's something that we're confident a guy doesn't have to have coming here, and we can make it happen. Uh, you can just look at OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Norman Powell, I mean, a lot of guys have become killer catch-and-shoot shooters on their Raptors that just weren't before. And so they have decided to value other qualities higher. You know, feel, intelligence, something that the Raptors have really seemed to value more than shooting. At the same time, pull-up shooting is something the Raptors have not shown they can teach. And it's something that may not be enough for a team to win. You know, Damian Lillard, second-best pull-up shooter of all time, uh, he hasn't won a championship. So it's not sufficient for winning, but it is necessary. Unless you have a pull-up shooter at bare minimum, then you can't win a championship. You know, that's why Chris Middleton closed games for Milwaukee. Um, Kawhi Leonard did that for Toronto in the playoffs. And Toronto right now doesn't have a pull-up shooter of that caliber. Malachi so, right, Flynn. Yeah, Malachi Al-Kai Flynn. <laughs> And Fred Van Fleet's getting a little bit better and a little bit better. And maybe he'll end up being like a 38% pull-up shooter on seven a game, and then you're fine. But uh, as, as it stands, they don't have a lineup, I think, that could win in the playoffs with those three alongside each other. Not to say that lineup won't develop. You know, maybe OG becomes a pull-up shooter. Maybe Fred takes a step forward. So it's possible. But I think they're missing an ingredient, one ingredient for that lineup to become the true lineup of death people are making it out to be
1: yeah well that is all i have for you lewis i really appreciate you coming on the show man um i would be ecstatic at buddy bagley in three firsts and i think you would be understandably annoyed so i'm gonna i'm gonna keep praying for that one but don't see it as likely um thanks a bunch for coming on lewis i appreciate it it's always a
0: pleasure man the kings are uh super fun to talk about fox is one of my favorite guys
1: i'm sure we will end up having you on again and anybody not following lewis it's at lewis satsman on Twitter. Um thanks to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse podcast. Check out all the work going on at the Kings Herald. Uh, take a look at the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the King's Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate and review. Hear from us again in the next couple of days.